the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, the Friday show. We made it to the end of another week, and it's been our first kind of normal week since the holidays. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about church stuff, questions about anything going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now band at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer, and you will be safe. Everything's hands-free. Hey, we got a lot going on. We always do on Friday because we're ready for the weekend. Tonight, I have a really encouraging, at least it's encouraging to me. God has been so good to me. Um, a Bible study from Philippians chapter 2 uh, about two shining stars. Um, the reference is to Paul saying in our study last Friday, uh, don't grumble or complain about anything. Do everything without grumbling so that you may stand out like shining stars. And then he gives us two examples of shining stars tonight. Uh, Timothy, his son in the faith, and also Epaphroditus. So uh, these are the kind of studies I like because it just makes me so grateful for the men and women that God has surrounded me with. I have been blessed with so many faithful people, and they really are shining stars. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. But it's better if you join us. It's always better to be with God's people. So uh, that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Um, Sunday, of course, I'm going to be teaching back in my regular rotation, back to three services. Um, I'm going to be teaching from Acts chapter 3, Peter's great message. Peter's great message about um, repenting, times of refreshing. Wonderful, wonderful Bible study. I just love it. So that's what's on store this weekend. I know you're going to church, wherever it is that you go to church. Um, serve. Find somebody who needs to be blessed and you be the source of God's blessing. I always tell you that it will change your whole perspective on church. Church no longer is a got to, but it's a get to. It's no longer, well, what's God going to do for me? It's, Lord, how can you use me to minister to someone else? That's really the heart that God is looking for. Okay, let's get to some questions and comments that we've had. I've made somebody a little bit upset. Uh, here we have a very animated call yesterday um, to the studio, and I'll get to that in a moment. But there's one question in particular uh, from Raul, Raul from our email inbox, um, and I, I just want to share this with you. He said, Pastor Ron, did you hear about the football player uh, who had a cardiac arrest? I couldn't help people praying 
Uh, but I believe many of those prayers won't be answered because they're not saved. Also, why do people ask for prayers and Jesus in a time of need for that guy, uh, for the guy's toy ministry? And, and to explain that, this guy has a, a ministry. By all accounts, uh, uh, this, this man who was injured, 24-year-old, is a Christian, uh, very vocal about his faith. And he is... Um, uh, always been interested in, in helping children. So he has a ministry, a, a, a place where they raise money for kids' toys, a toy drive. That's the words I was looking for. Thank you. And um, uh, since he was been injured, they've raised $6 million. And he's, uh, Raul is asking, why do people give money to a toy drive but won't donate to churches or poor people? Just some of my thoughts. Raul, your, your question troubles me. It troubles me because it it really reveals a heart that I I think is really displeasing to the Lord. Now, I don't know you, so this isn't personal. But please understand, can you imagine what Jesus would think when you're complaining about people praying for somebody who's sick? Somebody who's been hurt? Why do they go to Jesus in a time of need? Well, you went to him in a time of need, and so did I. I went to him, Raul, when... My life was at the lowest point possible. There was nowhere else to call out to. And Jesus said, in fact, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When I cried out in my time of desperation, Raul, I got rest. And I've been resting while working. I've been resting now for almost 32 years with the Lord. And it's in those times of need and desperation that we need to call out to Jesus. Now, Regarding people praying who aren't saved, even that is a witness for the Lord. Those people who are praying for this young man are accountable to God, and the Holy Spirit is maybe not going to be able to hear their prayers the way he hears our prayers, Raul. But for sure, Everybody is accountable because the fact that they prayed for his health means that they believe in some place in their mind and heart that there is a God. And what they have to do with that, that, that knowledge is find out whether or not it's true. The Holy Spirit will use anything and everything because he really and truly loves us. And Raul, again, this isn't personal because I don't know who you are, but a heart like this is a heart that God can't hear the prayers from either. So, please check your heart. This isn't a heart that I think the Lord would be pleased with. So instead of worrying about why other people are praying and they're not saved, or why they can give money to a cause like this, but can't donate to churches or poor people, boy, that really seems to be all about you, Raul, and not about Jesus at all. Jesus was there with that young man. Now, let me give you some awesome good news. The latest report on this young man is that he's had a miraculous or near miraculous recovery. Um, uh, he's talking. Uh, he's um, able to tell his teammates that he loves them. Um, um, he is doing really, really well, faster than they believed, which means God is hearing a lot of those prayers, Raul. He's hearing my prayers. I've been praying for this young man since I watched it. I was actually watching the game on on uh, Monday night. So we should keep praying about him. He is doing really, really well and um, um, is going to survive, and we'll see what lies ahead in his future. But this is a young man whose faith appears to be uh, a real blessing. One final comment, you know, uh, this this young man's uh, toy ministry, his foundation uh, to provide toys for kids. Uh, when it started, it was very small. Now, this this isn't a, a, a super rich football player. This is a young man who's just getting started. He was a sixth round draft choice, which means he's not signing big contracts. But their goal was to raise twenty five hundred dollars. Now they've raised more than $6 million. Lots of kids are getting a lot of toys. And those are always really good things. So Raul, pray for him. Bless him. And uh, be blessed in the process. Here is a, the question I talked about. Somebody wanted to. It was an anonymous call. 
and he asked about tattoos. And I said tattoos uh, are, there's nothing against tattoos, nothing uh, in the Bible about tattoos. And I, I'm aware that Leviticus 19.28 talks about, or uses the English word tattoos. But it was a completely different thing. And his animation uh, with our studio producers was, was uh, he's wrong on this. And, you know, I always think, and I don't want to sound arrogant at all, but, but when somebody says, I'm wrong, my first question would be, let me see the fruit coming from your life. How long have you been studying your Bible? You know, we're to be workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the Word of God. So how do you come to the conclusion, I'm wrong? I've been studying the Bible now for 32 years. God has really blessed me with the gift to teach. doesn't mean I'm right about everything. But all you have to do, Anonymous, is rightly divide the Word of God. Rightly divide it. Two things. I told you that that was to be done in, uh, or, or the, the prohibition against uh, in Leviticus 19, against uh, cutting yourself in tattoos. Those were done in festivals, worshiping false gods, or in some cases, even worshiping the dead. Those things that we know are an abomination to God, and God tells his people Israel, don't be like that. Now, just because the English word tattoo is there, you got to really dig into that, because that doesn't mean in some places it's, it's cutting away and marking your body, not, not tattoos the way we would, would write them and cut them into the skin. And it's connected with the worship of false gods. It's demonic. And by the way, when I'm teaching that passage, I'm always telling people that when somebody's cutting themselves, our kids many times are, are cutters, that's always demonically inspired. It's, it's been that way from the very beginning. It doesn't mean your children are possessed by a devil. It just means that the, the act itself is inspired by the devil. So that's clearly the context of Leviticus chapter 19. The second thing I would say to you, Anonymous, is like the rest of the law, this wasn't written for you and for me. You don't know how to study your Old Testament because to the Israelites, these laws were given to people under the law. The New Testament says we're not under the law. The law was fulfilled or accomplished. Why in the world would a prohibition against tattoos, even if it was, as you say, and it's not, why would a prohibition against tattoos apply to us when God wasn't speaking to us? Now, people say, well, the Bible's the Bible. Well, well, listen for a moment. Do you eat bacon? you ever a pork chop? The law also excludes the possibility of doing that. But things changed under the new covenant. So before you get animated at our producers, before you want to go on a high horse and tell people that this is what I believe, be sure you know what you're talking about. Your call to our studio uh, was very unchristlike. So study, study, and have a little bit of humility in the process. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jr. And he said, uh, the subject is a movie about Paul. Pastor Ron, I was listening to your study in Acts uh, from 2018. Wow, I didn't know I did Acts in 2018. Uh, and you referenced a movie that had just come out about the life of Paul. I did not hear what you thought of it, but was very interested when you said the bibliography listed F.F. F. Bruce. I thought to myself... Um, Finally, I might actually a movie I might actually enjoy, not spend more time in reference than actually relaxing and enjoying a good movie. I just wonder if you recall the title and have an opinion on that film. There are so many. I don't watch a lot of TV, so this would be a huge time saver for me. Also, a new movie coming out um, about the beginning of Calvary Chapel uh, is coming out this year. In fact, it's coming out this month. Uh, do I have any information on that? 
And then he thanks us for some things. Our website has been a tremendous help in subsidizing his personal studies, and um, and and he and our our, our guys, our, our tech guys, are just do a wonderful, wonderful job. So, Jr., thank you for noticing it, and thank you for the kind things that you said in the rest of your letter. A couple of things that movie. Uh, it was called um, Paul, Apostle of Christ. It did come out in 2018. I saw it. In fact, I saw it twice. Uh, I love the book of Acts, and this was sort of Luke's perspective on the book of Acts. And I found the movie interesting. Now, there's some dramatic license and some creativity uh, that that isn't consistent with uh, word for word what the Bible says, but I thought it was really really good. I mean, it wasn't. Um, it's not going to win any Oscars, but but it was a, a movie that I think is worth uh, watching, uh, and I enjoyed it. And it's certainly something that uh, you can find now. I'm sure for free online. Uh, but probably a pretty good movie, and and uh, and I think you could watch it. Um, the movie it might be on um, Netflix. It is the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle of Christ. Um, the reason I was encouraged by it from the beginning, I told you, F. F. Bruce was in the bibliography, the things that they studied, put together, and and this is even better than the movie. So, uh, J. R. If you are interested in uh, reading, and uh, I think we all should be. Um, uh, the 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 book that they took their information from for the movie was called Paul, the Heart of the Apostle Set Free. And it's written by F.F. F. Bruce, who is, as I've said on this program many times, my favorite Bible commentator uh, ever. So um, um, find that book, read it. It is the definitive work uh, on the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, the the heart of the apostle set free by F F Frank Frank Bruce, very very good. Um, in the uh, the the movie coming out about Calvary Chapel, uh, it's called the Jesus Revolution. It is about the Jesus Movement days. I've seen the movie as a Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, I was one of them that they selected to send it to uh, for a private screening. We had oh uh, my my pastoral staff was all here and we watched it in our sanctuary. And I couldn't say anything about it because that was part of the terms of the release. But I watched it. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's worth watching. Um, um, it is. Um, how can I say this? It was more about Greg Laurie than it was about uh, the start of the Jesus movement. Um, I've known, I know a lot of pastors who were around in the old tent days when all that was going on, and they seem to think it fairly represented what was going on during the time. Um, the the guy who plays Jesus in the Chosen played Lonnie Frisbee. Uh, Kelsey Grammer uh, played uh, Pastor Chuck. And um, I can't remember the guy who played Greg Laurie, but uh, Greg and Kathy Laurie were prominent in it. And I guess I was only a little disappointed, not because it wasn't good, but a little disappointed because I thought it would be more about the movement itself than about Greg Laurie. And I I know Greg well, and uh, he's a wonderful guy. God's used him. But the, the, the focus of the movie wasn't what I was expecting and Probably had I had no expectations at all, I would have loved it. You can watch both of those things. JR and anybody else in the audience, let me give you something better to watch. If you really want to find out about the Jesus Movement days, um, uh, go to YouTube and watch uh, A Venture in Faith. A Venture, V-E-N-T-U-R-E, in Faith. And that is um, um, sort of the authentic uh, autobiography of the Calvary Chapel movement, Pastor Chuck, and the work that was done. Now, it's very long. It's two and a half hours, I think, uh, so you can watch it in in uh, chunks. But it, it was really, really good, and it talks about what our movement is like, how it got started, and just gives you an appreciation for the work of God. So that's free also. You can watch it, as I said, on YouTube, A Venture in Faith. And uh, I, I promise you, you will enjoy that a great deal. Good question. Thanks very, very much. Here's a question from... Let me get to it. This is from Joshua. 
Um, we know that Peter was married. My question is, why can't priests be married if the apostles could be? Uh, Joshua, the only reason priests can't be married is because of silly Catholic tradition. That's all. Um, Peter, they claim to be the first pope, which is silliness. The dates just don't work. Um, Catholic Church, as we know it in Rome, didn't even come into existence until 313 A.D., uh, and you're right, Peter was married, but uh, priests, uh, people in the Catholic Church, uh, their marriage is forbidden to them simply because the church says uh, that it's forbidden and there's no biblical warrant for it at all. Uh, and in fact, Joshua, it has been um, quite harmful um, in in the years. So um, th- there's there's no reason that priests can't be married other than somebody decided extra-biblically that it can't be. Let me say something about extra-biblical stuff, and I'll go back to the tattoo question. You know, when the Bible's quiet about something, then we need to be quiet about it. Why would we go beyond what the Bible says? What is it in our flesh that wants to limit or prohibit um, what other people want to do? I just think we need to mind our own business, and the New Testament doesn't say anything at all about tattoos. If somebody wants to get a tattoo, guess what? It's them. It's between them and the Lord. It has nothing to do with somebody, and I can't understand why anybody would have an opinion about tattoos. The man or the woman that gets tattoos has an opinion about them, but but you see, they have the right to do that to their own body. The man or the woman who doesn't want tattoos or want anything to do with tattoos or doesn't especially like tattoos, they don't have to get them. For the life of me, I don't know why that's not enough for all of us. The same thing is true with this uh, whole idea about um, priests not being able to marry, just, uh, just putting a burden on people unnecessarily. So I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Here is a question from Samuel. He says, uh, Pastor, I feel guilty when I pass by a homeless person asking for money and don't give it to them. I can't give to everyone, but Jesus said we should give more than they ask. Samuel, guilt is from the devil. Don't feel guilty. Be open to the leading of the Spirit. Obviously, we can't give to everybody that asks. I mean, you can't go uh, on a freeway on-ramp or off of a freeway or in a busy intersection without somebody out there asking for money. Uh, If you go downtown, you're going to be accosted with people asking for money. You can't give to everybody, but don't feel guilty about it. Just be open to the leading of the Spirit because there will be time, Samuel, when the Spirit says give to that person. I had a dear friend of mine here. He did a men's retreat. And um, uh, we were in the car at In-N-Out, and there was a a guy uh, who uh, was under the freeway uh, right before the the turn into In-N-Out. And uh, uh, he was saying, need help, need money. And and he's a regular fixture there. But uh, my friend um, rolled down the car window. He said, go over to the In-N-Out. It was just a very short walk from where he was standing. Uh, I'll, I'll meet you there. And so the guy walked over. And um, um, my friend handed him all the money in his pocket. And I said, how much did you give me? I don't know, but there was probably three or 400 bucks in there. And, and I said, well, why did you do it? And he said, well, I just felt that's what the Lord was telling me to do. So be open to giving, but never feel guilty when you don't. Jesus did say we should give more than they ask when they ask. Somebody wants to borrow from us. Um, on the other hand, he said, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So there's always balance, Samuel, and these are hard things. And I know how guilty we feel. We want to serve the Lord. We want to live sacrificially. Um, but the reality is it never stops. And that's why I say be open to the leading of the Spirit, because sometimes we can actually get in the way of the work God is wanting to do. And other times... Um, we are the work that God wants to do, and he wants us to give sacrificially for people like that. So I don't want anybody thinking, I think you got to go out and give three or four hundred dollars. My friend did that just that one time, and you know, God has really blessed him. So why not? Why not? Uh, a generous person himself will be blessed by the Lord. 
Solomon writes in Proverbs, I think it's chapter 11, verse 28. Paul is at home going, yep or nope. But, um, um, you know, I, I think we all should be generous. I think we all should be generous. We should give when we can and do it with a joyful heart. Here's a question from Reva. Uh, she, I guess, says we're supposed to fight our flesh, but Paul says the flesh is dead already. How do we fight something dead? Well, the flesh has been defeated. The flesh has been crucified. But as long as we're in these flesh and blood bodies, Reva, it's still alive. And it's looking for control. It wants to dominate. My flesh has an insatiable appetite. And so I've got to fight it every day. And the way we fight it is very simple. We say no. I say often on this program that we've got to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to God. And that's what fighting the flesh is, to walk in the Spirit instead of walking according to the flesh. So we fight our flesh, but we do that every single day. We do that by putting ourselves in a place where we can hear God's voice and do what he tells us to do. Pretty simple, Reva. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have only a half hour left in our week, 340-9585. Paula did correct me. It's Proverbs 11.25, not 11.28, but I knew she would and she still loves me. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. I'm starting the, I'm starting the new year with one of my kind of oddball questions. <laughs> I hope it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And, and I'm going to try to make it make sense as much as I can. Now, what I'm curious about are the animal sacrifices. This is going to take me a while to get through this. The animal sacrifices, the meat, um, where they just burnt like to a crisp, or were they cooked enough so that everybody, you know, shared and feasted on them? The reason I'm asking this is because New Year's Eve, I made a small rack of lamb. Now, I always <laughs> medium rare, so it doesn't get overcooked, but I noticed that there's a lot of fat on lambs, and I'm wondering why did the Lord make lambs with so much fat on them, and when, when, like, the fat gets all nice, burnt, and crispy, and there's all those herbs on it, I was cutting a little bit of it off, and I was thinking, wow, this is so delicious. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I started to think about, well, wait a minute. I thought that the Israelites weren't allowed to eat the fat. The fat had to, you know, they weren't allowed to have it at all. And then that got me to thinking about, well, what happened? What happens? You know, what, what happened to all the meat? And I think that's where my question went. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, then. That's pretty much it. You know, what was I was I kind of like not right to be eating, eating that piece of fat or not? I mean, I know now, you know, it's okay because we're yeah. we're under a whole new covenant, but I'm just curious about back in um back then when when they did the sacrifices. So, happy new year and I'm going to get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. I'm not a lamb person, but Cindy almost made me hungry when she described that lamb and the fat burning. A couple of things. There were different meat offerings. Uh, some of the meat offerings were um, given to the priests, to the Levites. Um, we know, for example, that there were those uh, priests that took advantage of the people and they would take it out before the, the offering and they kept the best part of the meat for themselves and they paid the price for it. But the idea is, depending on the festival, there were some meat offerings that were divided up among the Levites or those who were actually overseeing the service uh, in the temple or the tabernacle at that time. But there's the, the one you're talking about, the, the, the offering you're talking about, 
the burnt offering is really an important picture, Cindy, because the idea is they would put the the the, the animal uh, on the on the altar, uh, entrails and all, um, the fat, everything hanging out, and and burn it. Um, and and the reason they would do that, it'd be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I mean, it's it's just like you and I when we hear something burning. Why did God put the fat on that? Because that's what tastes good. That's what smells good when it's burning. And the burnt offering is an important picture for us. I'll talk about that in a moment. But the burnt offering is simply to be completely consumed. That's why the picture matters so much for us. It was to be completely consumed, not eaten by anybody. And the idea is it's our offering to the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, uh, the first two verses, uh, he said, Brothers, in view of God's mercy, consider everything that God has done. Then he says this, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your reasonable service, the King James says. The NIV and some of the other newer translations say uh, it is your your genuine act of worship or your sincere act of worship. And it's a picture from that Old Testament offering that we're to be completely consumed. What that means practically, Cindy, for us is that everything that we have, everything we are, everything we ever will be is a gift from God. And we're to offer it all to the Lord. Whether it's our time, our talent, or our treasure, we're to offer it all to the Lord. And that's the way we respond in a New Testament construct to the, the, um, the burnt offering. Uh, it's to be totally consumed. Our lives are to be spent on Christ, spent for Christ, and for his glory. And those Old Testament offerings were a really important picture. Now, I'm sure everybody got hungry when they would smell all of that. But remember, that pleasing aroma was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One other comment, Cindy. Um, it's our reasonable service or our genuine or sincere act of worship. Uh, but that, then Paul tells us how that's to look. He said, uh, to, we're not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the way we do that, of course, is in the Word of God. And after offering our bodies to the Lord, we, we, we dive into the Word of God. And the Bible tells us exactly how we're to live a life that is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Boy, wonderful question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Jackson. He said, if Jesus is God, uh, and this is my insert here, he is, uh, why do some preachers say that he did everything as a man and not God while he was here on earth? Uh, Jackson, this is, uh, the answer is, it comes from Philippians chapter 2. It's called the kenosis of God. That's a theological term. And it simply means that Jesus emptied himself of his deity. In other words, the attributes of deity, uh, his uh, omniscience, uh, all-knowing, his omnipotence, all-powerful. Jesus got tired. Jesus slept. Jesus needed to eat. Uh, there were things he didn't know. No one knows the hour of, of uh, that day until uh, except my Father in heaven. He emptied himself of all of that so that he could encounter everything in this world as a human because he was dying for the sins of humans. So he did everything as a man. He didn't once use his power for his own benefit. The miracles he did for so many others, he did not perform for himself. Um, what Jesus did, he did completely in submission to the Father. And in so doing, and this wasn't the primary reason he came, but in so doing, one of the benefits is that he taught us how we're to live in the world that God has put us in. And we're simply to do it by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. We have God's word, so we know what he expects. But as we walk with Jesus, then then the Lord's power through us can be used to do some pretty amazing things. So Jesus is God, and yet his entire ministry here on earth was accomplished as a human. And it wasn't until his baptism at the Jordan River, then the, the Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. That was when um, he fulfilled, I only do what I see my father do, I only say what I hear my father say. And then he also said over and over, I only want to do that which pleases my father. So 
He walked as a man. He lived as a man. He died as a man. He never stopped being God, but he veiled that deity. The Philippians chapter 2 says he emptied himself, considering equality with God not something to be grasped or held on to. He had it, but he let it go, and he did it, Jackson, for you and for me. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Kelly. She says, how can we argue with Catholics who claim Mary is the Queen of Heaven in Revelation chapter 12? It seems like they have a good point. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately for us, I guess, they don't have a good point uh, because Mary is not the woman in uh, Revelation chapter 12. Um, The chapter begins... Um, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Um, Then another sign uh, appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. Now, uh, one of the things that we need to know about this woman uh, and all the symbolism, and this is a highly symbolic chapter. Um, um, this woman is described in celestial images. They're images that we've seen before. I tell you, every time I open the book of Revelation or get a Revelation question, that all of the symbols are explained somewhere else in Scripture. Now, the Roman Catholics say that this woman has to be Mary. She will, or they will say, well, after all, she gave birth to Jesus, so it must be her. But that's not what we're told here. This is a sign, and that means that this woman giving birth to Christ symbolizes something bigger than Mary. Now, Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, claimed that she was the woman of Revelation chapter 12. There are some Christians with really badly messed up eschatology who claim even that the woman of Revelation chapter 12 is the church, but it cannot be so. Jesus gave birth to the church, not the other way around. This woman, in Revelation chapter 12, is the nation of Israel. And that's why we know those are familiar symbols. Israel is often compared to a woman, uh, specifically even a woman in the pangs of labor. But we have even more proof if we compare the story in Genesis 37, uh, Joseph's dream, uh, and he uses those same celestial terms, and they understood clearly that that was uh, and a picture of the father, Jacob, and the, the, the mother, uh, Rachel. So the identity is certain. Again, the, the, the symbols are not um, without purpose. We know exactly what they are, and we don't have to guess. So anybody who says, and by the way, don't argue with Catholics or anybody else. Don't argue. They don't want to know the truth. Uh, they're just taking for fact what what the Catholics have have been teaching. Mary is not the queen of heaven, never was, never will be. Read her Magnificat if you want to know who Mary was. Thank you, Kelly. Oscar says, recently you used the term prevenient grace on your show. What is that? I can't find anything on it. Well, Oscar, it's a, a theological term. Uh, it simply means the grace that draws us to Christ. You know, there are, there are some um, systematic theologies that say, you know, you can't be saved until you, unless you are saved. In other words, we're dead people. Dead people don't have the capacity to choose. And, and, and they say, you know, God actually regenerates us before we make a profession of faith. That's not true. Provenient grace is simply... Uh, the grace that allows us to draw near to God because he in the person of the Holy Spirit draws near to us. Jesus said, no one can come to me except the Father draw him. And the way the Father draws people to Jesus, Oscar, is by convicting us of sin and of righteousness and judgment. He comes alongside us. That's the the the, the, the Greek word is, is para in, in the book of Acts. And he convinces people that you're a sinner, you're guilty. Um, that's important. You've got to recognize you're guilty before you can get saved. In fact, on Sunday's Bible study, um, 
they're going to again ask, okay, you're right. What do we do now? And Peter says, repent. And if you do that, the times of refreshing will come upon you. And um, that's the Holy Spirit who's doing that work. Uh, in my life, Oscar, um, I was doing the same things I'd always done, but but I couldn't get away from this. This I knew it was wrong. Never worried about it being wrong before, but I knew it was wrong. And it was the Holy Spirit. I now know it was the Holy Spirit who was convicting me that I'm a sinner. But he also then convicts you of righteousness. There's a path to righteousness. That path is through Jesus Christ. So those are important things. But prevenient grace is just that grace that draws you to Jesus, makes you aware of his presence and your need for him in your life. So that's all it is, Oscar. Thank you very, very much. Teresa says... Is it possible to be 100% certain of the truth of Christianity? I still have doubts that come and want to learn how to deal with the doubts. Those are really two completely separate questions, Teresa. It is possible to be 100% certain that what we believe as Christians is true. Uh, People say, well, how can you be so sure? It's easy. I know it's true. I have no doubt, not a single doubt in the world. And and this is a gift God gave me um, um, when I got saved. From that, I've never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. I know where I'm going. Um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to going to be with Jesus. I prefer the rapture rather than death. Getting old is a lot harder than I than I thought it would be. Uh, but I have one hundred percent certainty of the truth of Christianity. Now, Teresa, let me tell you how that happened. I was a brand new believer, and I had so many questions. And every time I'd ask a question, the the Christians would respond, well, the Bible says. I didn't understand how the Bible could be a book written by God. I didn't understand how it could be 100% true. I, like everybody else growing up, thought, well, it was just an old book and really doesn't have any practical value for us living in this time and age that we do. We're so sophisticated. But but I had to make a decision if if everybody answers the Bible says, I need to know if I can depend on this Bible. And uh, I set out on a mission to find out whether the Bible was just a book or whether it was written by God. And Teresa, it took me, and now it, for some people it takes longer, for, for others it doesn't take this much time. But for me it took just less than three months. And I mean, I poured my heart and soul into finding out whether or not this was really a book written by God, whether I could depend on it with absolute certainty. And after spending those nearly three months digging in, there just came a point, and I'll never forget it. I was in the uh, the library at the Claremont School of Theology in Southern California, uh, a very liberal theology school, by the way. Uh, and... Um, I was in a room, books spread everywhere, all over a big table. And all of a sudden, it was as though Jesus was in the room with me. And he said, are you convinced yet? Are we done here? And I just knew it was true. And Teresa, there hasn't been a moment of doubt since then. Now the devil lies to me and stuff like that, but 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 that doesn't that's not doubt. I just know that's his attempt to sort of derail me. I'm not unaware of his schemes. That's what Peter wrote. Um, but but if you really dig into the Word, if you really learn that you can depend on it, that it is the inerrant Word of God. There are no contradictions. There's no fault. When you become convinced of that, then and only then will you be able to fight the doubts that the enemy is going to bring. And my life, Teresa, has been so rich through difficult times and good times. Because of that certainty, Jesus wants us to be certain. The Apostle John wrote, and this is First John, I write these things so that you will know, and the idea there is no for sure, what it takes to belong to him, and that what we believe is true. So, Teresa, it is possibly 100% certain. You want to deal with the doubts? Dig into your Bible and be absolutely convinced that every word is written by the breath of God pushing the pens of men. That's what inspiration really means. Thank you. Here's an anonymous question. 
do you believe the United States is under the judgment of God right now? Uh, Anonymous, no, I don't believe that the United States is under the judgment of God. What I do believe is that God has removed his hand of protection from us. And uh, I don't know if you're referring to the message that I did um, last Wednesday or this past Wednesday or not, uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. But I said, I believe that we're witnessing the death of a nation. We're in the earth. It's like we're on hospice care um, and we're right at the beginning of it, but we're sinking fast. And I believe that's what's happening. That is not the judgment of God. We're dying because we're dying from sin. We've rebelled against God. We've kicked him out of schools. We've outlawed prayer. We've insisted that we don't bring the, the subject of Jesus Christ up. We get tremendous pressure and heat from people whenever we talk about Jesus being the way we can't call sin, sin any longer. And I think God has simply removed his hand of protection from us and we're dying. And we're on life support. How long it's going to take, I don't know, but all any of us has to do is look at how quickly things have changed. I'm going to give you two time frames. One since 1973, when our nation said that it's okay to kill babies. More than 60 million babies have been killed in the womb, some of them slightly out of the womb. I mean, we've turned into a barbarous, idol-worshipping nation, and we're killing children. But let's bring it a little closer to home, to the time that we live in. If you go back to June of 2015... That's when our nation said it was okay for people of the same sex to be married. It was our legal constitutional right. We redefined marriage, which was an institution that God created. Only God has the authority to define it. He establishes the rules for it. And we said it was okay. Now look what's happened since 2015. Now, if my math is right, that's uh, six and a half years. Seven and a half years. And if, in fact, it's seven and a half years, it's impossible. If we went back to 2015, nobody would believe the kind of world that we live in now. Nobody would believe that men could marry men or women could be married or women can marry women. Nobody would believe that men can insist they're be called women and women can insist they're called men. And that they take on a whole new persona? Nobody would have believed that stuff was even possible. And look where we are and how quickly we got here. So I don't believe we're under the judgment of God. When God judges, it's over. But like Israel, both north and southern kingdoms, there comes a time when God warns us so often and we turn a deaf ear to him and our hearts just get so hard and the judgment cannot be averted. I think we're, we're on the road to that. So I just think that we're no longer under the blessing of God. Uh, one other thing, Anonymous, not directly related to your question, but I also believe that the things that we believe, those, those impossible things that now most of the world accepts as truth, I believe that God has permitted a lying spirit Our hearts have become so hard that we'll believe anything, even things that just a few years ago we never would have dreamed that we would would believe these things. But now in the name of love and in the name of tolerance, we deny our own Lord because we won't stand with him and say, no, that's wrong. So if we're under or on the way to being judged by the Lord, then the reason why is what I just explained. I think one time for one more question. This is from Ginger. She says, "Are you okay with the American megachurch model?" Um, you know, Jim, Ginger, I'm I'm not in a position of authority to be okay or not okay with something. You know, when a, a pastor opens a church, um, you know, nobody complains when a church stays small. Maybe the pastor does, but but um, if if God wants to bless a church, and I mean, how do you keep people from coming? Our church would be described by by the definition of megachurch. We'd be described as a megachurch. Uh, we've got that many people who come. Um, nobody would 
realize that because our facility is small and tacky. Um, but, you know, we're, we're ne- we never close the doors to anybody that God wants to bring. So I just think what we got to do is is um, just let God do whatever God is going to do. And if these mega churches uh, can stay humble, uh, then God can use them to do amazing things. It's interesting, you know, a mega church with the money that they bring in can do so much more than a church, even a church our size. Why? Because they've got so much more to do it with. If a pastor will stay humble, if he won't seek the attention and the fame um, and the money, um, then imagine what God can do through a big church. The problem, of course, is uh, pastors have egos. Um, The people that go to those churches, you know, they want to be connected with the big star. And I think that's really the downfall of the American church model. We have elevated preachers into positions where we almost worship them as idols. And uh, we don't care whether they're living holy lives. As long as they're preaching, they're such good teachers, we say. uh, God has really anointed them. Um, Every man preaching the Bible. Every woman, too, by the way, even though women shouldn't be doing it as a pastor. um, We're all going to stand before the Lord and give account of our stewardship of the people that he's brought to us. So from that perspective, Ginger, I'm okay with the megachurch model, and I'm not okay with the megachurch model. I'm not trying to be wishy-washy or anything. It's just the way it is. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Well, we are just about out of time. I want you to have the best weekend ever. I pray that people get saved wherever it is you go to church, because if they get saved, it might be the last one, and we could be with Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Tell him how much you love him. Walk with him and listen very closely. He has something that he wants to say to all of you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.